0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com podcast. All right, Chanali, tech, media, telecommunications, that's TMT to the cool kids. <laughs> um, uh, I love this part of the market because it's changing. Boy, it seems not just on a daily basis, but maybe an hourly basis. You really got to stay on your toes. Mark well, Gibson. You need a new acronym. I know. Mark Gibson absolutely is on top of this space. Mark Gibson, he's a U.S. tech media telecommunications leader for KPMG. Mark, there's a lot to talk about when we talk about tech and tech trends. I want to start with cybersecurity because... This is something that we hear companies talk about, ramping up their spending to protect their networks every single year, yet we still see hacks and ransomware. How do you think about this space? What are you telling your clients? What are you hearing from your clients?
1: Yeah, Paul, uh, thanks for the chance to be with you today. Great to be here. And uh, cybersecurity is certainly an emerging risk that is uh, accelerated up up the risk factors for tech companies, no doubt. Um, it's interesting. We have we've been surveying and talking with execs at our clients in the tech sector for years, and it, cyber security has always been in the top list of risks. But you know, somewhere near somewhere near the bottom, and, and it just sort of sat there. And, and through the pandemic, and I think through the last eighteen months or so, we've really seen it accelerate to the top, where most of the execs we're speaking to in the tech sector are viewing that as one of the top business risks. And I think it's unique to tech because. Like all sectors, um, all of the, the companies in the tech sector have to worry about attacks within their own walls and, and within their own data. But it's also a reputational thing for tech companies because they're responsible for a lot of the products and solutions that are out being sold out into the market that our uh, other companies are relying on to. Uh, to protect against these uh, cyber attacks. So it really is both a business and a reputational risk for a lot of of the tech companies.
2: Technology is such a broad term. And when you speak to any investment banker on Wall Street, they say all their clients are transforming to a digital economy. And (laughs) what does that even mean? (laughs) I mean, to be relevant in this new economy, what technologies do you think are really going to move the needle for the big corporations?
1: Yeah, Shivani, it's a great question because you know this phrase "digital transformation" has been out there everywhere, and and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And we we surveyed some tech execs uh, globally. We do that quite often, and we have some really interesting results this year. Where um, most of the responses of what are the transformational technologies that are going to drive the sector going forward, they were new things at the top of that list. It was things like artificial intelligence and IoT. robotic process automation. And it was much different from what we've seen in the past around transformation. And I think what it tells us is, um, before the pandemic, most companies viewed digital transformation as a way to drive cost out of their business, you know, sort of grow the bottom line, update their processes, get their their systems into the cloud, things like that, take back-end cost out. But what we're seeing now through the results is these type of technologies are really focused on growing market share in the top line, and enhancing customer loyalty and things like that, that are much more competitive advantages. And so I think a lot of the, the tech companies are viewing these, uh, these newer emerging transformational technologies as a way to really generate new insights, uh, attack the, the data security issue that we talked about previously and, and really drive, you know, competitive advantage in the market to be a winner going forward. So it is really emerging, but it's a great, uh, it's a great, uh, emerging question.
0: So one of the technologies that seems to have just exploded this year and maybe even just in the last six months is crypto. And it just seems like that's where all the cool kids are going now to Bitcoin, to crypto. They're not going on to the trading desk of Morgan Stanley to trade the long bond. They're going out and doing crypto stuff. What do you tell clients about that?
1: Yeah, I think everybody looking at that. It's certainly become something that seemed to be um, out of the mainstream uh, for a number of years. And a lot of clients were, were, were looking at that, but viewing it as something they deal with in the future. And I think it has made its way onto the agenda now uh, for discussion. Um, you know, Blockchain is certainly an important topic uh, for the tech sector, um, and that's uh, integrated some way with crypto. Um, And I think we're seeing more and more companies uh, investigating how do you lean into that? How do you accept payment? How do you transact business using those uh, alternative payment means? And so it's it's made its way onto the agenda, I think, for the clients that we talk to, and I think the – we still maybe will wait to see exactly how, uh, how it's utilized yep. by a lot going forward.
0: All right, Mark. We'll talk about that one in the future because it's here to stay, it seems like. Mark Gibson, U.S. TMT leader for KPMG, giving us the latest on trends in all things tech. Well, all reports that we're hearing over the past few days is despite the Omicron variant, and the challenge is there. People are traveling. You know, it's uh, Christmas and people are heading out and getting on planes and driving and uh, going back and forth for the holidays. Uh, let's check in what's really going on with the airlines, with that whole industry. Peter McNally, global lead for industrials, materials, and energy uh, at Third Bridge. Peter, what do you think holiday travel is going to look like for these airlines? Uh, it seems like people are heading to the, uh, the airports and flying out. Yeah well uh good to be with you the you know it's undeniable that people do want
3: to travel, and we've seen it you know this year as people got vaccinated they booked flights uh they wanted to travel the airlines themselves ran into some trouble in dealing with the demand because it was less predictable than in the past. Um, people are booking much closer to their travel dates uh, than in the past, but the difference you know we've seen thanksgiving and Now coming into Christmas is that the airlines know when those dates are um, and they can staff and get the aircraft in the right places at the right time. Whereas, you know, through the summer and the fall, as like the Delta variant emerged and then receded, it was a lot harder for the airlines to do planning. So over the last few weeks, you know, we've seen better performance out of the airlines and demand is on the rise
2: you know, and first of all, I, I must say, I was also a Bucknell graduate too. So, uh, you know, you must really know what you're so talking the, about the over the there. The fighting
0: bison, what, what, what are they? It's again? the bison. The bison. Right. <laughs> it
2: is the bison. So, you know, here's the thing. A lot of things are being canceled that would have spurred a lot of global travel. That is things like Davos or things, I guess there's a lot of private planes there right. too, but, <laughs> but, but, but still it bought a lot of People flying around the world, the JP Morgan conference, events are being canceled. How does that shape what the beginning of the next year starts to look like?
3: Sure. Well, the way we're looking at it at Thurbridge is two markets. We got the domestic market, which is basically in a full recovery, but the international market, even by midsummer next year, we still expect it to be twenty percent off its off the twenty nineteen levels. Like it's not gonna be until 2024 in all likelihood that uh international air travel does make that full recovery whereas the domestic market a lot more leisure domestic business is still different uh leisure domestic travel has come back it has come back strong and things like delaying return to office or conferences being canceled that's more impacting the business market so um You know, it is really important to segment um, the different types of travelers uh, that that you're seeing when looking at the
0: airlines. All right. A corollary to kind of the airline industry is the oil business, energy. It's a big cost for these airlines. We've seen oil here. we got WTI crude oil, $71.50. I mean, this seems to be... Supply seems to be fixed, and oil seems to be moving simply on where demand or perceived demand is going to be. How are you thinking about that And when you look at your companies?
3: Well, the first thing to think about you know, oil is that inventories are extremely low. We've really flipped the script from where we were 18 months ago, and this really has to do with OPEC. And OPEC has managed supply lower, um, and inventories have come down. So that has led to this recovery in the oil price. That said, for the first time in a year and a half, uh, when we look ahead to the first quarter, we actually see inventories rising for you know for crude oil, and to us, that's likely to cap prices. Um, there is a significant amount of underinvestment that has gone in, you know gone on over the last few years in the sector that'll have long-term implications. But over the next six months, for us, it's kind of hard to see oil prices running away with inventories on on the rise. And this has to do with OPEC has steadily been increasing production. um, And the U.S. has also increased. But we think that in particular is a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of supply. At the same time, you know, look, the demand recovery is underway. Jet fuel is is still off. But diesel has been very strong. Gasoline has picked up. So that's that's the dynamic we see in, in oil prices. But regardless you know the, the cost of oil for airlines is definitely higher than it was a year ago um, and this is leading to a situation while revenues we think in 2022 do recover is, higher fuel costs is one of the reasons why profitability won't get back to 2019 levels just yet for the airlines. you know
2: what does this all mean for the consumer at the end if you want a flight apparently to the UK near term you're paying a thousand bucks you know yep. you're it's expensive Expensive to fly right now, so what is the direction of travel, so to speak, here for for pricing?
3: Well, there's there's limited capacity right now going, you know, to the to the international destinations. Right, it was only November eighth when the U.S. opened up to 33 uh, countries that had been had been closed before, and the airlines are just moving capacity into serving those markets. Whereas, like, if you want to go to Florida. Right? This is where all the airlines have been competing to get that leisure traveler. Um, so it's a lot more 737s and Airbus 320s and 321s that are targeted for that. But there's fewer 787s and A350s in position to carry people to these international markets. And that's why you're seeing this dispersion in what it costs to travel.
0: Hey, Peter, thanks so much uh, for the update. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Peter McNally, he's a global lead for industrials, materials, and energy, uh, and the firm's name is Third Bridge. So getting an update there on some, some airlines and some travel and some energy there. Well, I have to admit that when I was getting my MBA at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, where our um our next guest actually had some studies there. I have to admit I didn't pay much attention to the operations management and logistics my least classes. Favorite class. I know, and that was a mistake because those are the folks that are uh you know really at the center of attention right here. Mike Para, CEO of DHL Express America's joins us. Mike, supply chain, I probably say it three, four times a day, it's an excuse for basically everything uh in my world. Give us a sense of kind of where we are right now in managing these challenges with the supply chain and kind of how you think it's going to play out over the coming six months, say.
4: Thank you, Paul. And uh, Shanelli. thanks for having us. And by the way, go Blue Devils. That's right. uh, As you know. Um, And uh, hopefully we can do something nice for Coach K on his way out. (laughs) Uh, But back to supply chain. First and foremost, I'd have to say that we are really pleased with where we're at. Uh, as uh, we kind of start to wrap up this peak season. Um, and I don't know what you call peak season these days because we've been in peak season since last May of 2020. But we've had a strong peak season. Our volumes have been up 15 to 20%. Uh, we started planning for what we call the Super Bowl of peak season back in June of this year, going out and hiring 2,291 additional Uh, individuals just alone here in the US Um, but so far knock on wood and we're in the last what we would call the last week last couple of days of the hurdle uh, we've performed quite well and I can speak to that uh,
1: as we go through this
2: you know it's interesting we've been talking to retailer after retailer and the ones that are winning say they have just gotten their inventory management right but I want to be also clear, because you have someone like Kathy Wood, who says the biggest risks to businesses are the fact that people have overordered, and that's going to come to bite them next year. I'm wondering, what is the delicate balance here at this very tricky time when it comes to the world of managing your supply chains?
4: Yeah, well, that, that's, a, that's a good concept. That's a, I talked about this about nine months ago, and I called it foro, fear of running out. Um, And a lot of retailers, a lot of our customers went from just in time to just in case. So it speaks exactly to the point you're uh, referencing to. But we've also seen a big shift uh, in supply chain. So a lot of what used to go maritime or ocean or a lot of what used to go freight forwarding has moved over into our space of time definite international And that's because we have uh, a fixed-air network. And, you know, we're not unique in that sense. Our competitors are there. Some of us planned uh, ahead of others and created that capacity uh, from that perspective. So, yes, I would say uh, there is a bit of that that is going on. Um, And it may not be too bad, to be honest with you, because I think they will have the inventory that's appropriate and needed as you moved into the next. Uh, peak season, which will be the run-up to Chinese New Year, which is, you know, late January of next year.
0: Mike, when you, I guess just based upon your internal analysis and your discussion with your customers, what's your best estimate of when the global supply chain will, I'm not sure what the right term is, but, but just normalize a little bit more? Because um, it's been, you know, a good 12 plus months here.
4: Absolutely. Everything that we are seeing, uh, every analysis we've done, every conversation we've had, Every session we've attended indicates late 2023 uh, or even early 2024. Absolutely. So we don't see any change in 22, uh, and especially with the variant and the explosiveness that we have seen. And you've seen it. I'm living here in South Florida right now. We're up to 108,000 new cases just Monday alone of this week in South Florida Uh, All the testing sites are up. Uh, We are out of at-home testing kits, at least here in South Florida. That's what I can speak to. Um, And I don't see this changing in 22. So we're headed for another, uh, you know, pandemic year in 22, where we thought it would be an endemic. Hopefully at some point it'll change. But again, no change in capacity in 22 uh, and we think we're well positioned. We went ahead in 2019 and purchased 14 triple seven wide bodies from Boeing. We then yeah. put in another order for eight uh, and we continue and we added one new aircraft every week, you know, from June of this year to the end of the year.
2: I'm curious. And we only really have 30 seconds here. Can you do this in a way that's greener?
4: We are working on that through sustainable aviation fuel, which we started in Europe and in the United States. We kicked it off in San Francisco, uh, and now we're looking to kick it off in other markets, but absolutely from that perspective. And in 2024, we will launch the first 12 fixed-wing electric aircraft in the United States through a partnership with Aviation uh, Hmm. out of Western Washington. So stay tuned for that.
0: All right. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it getting the update on the supply chain. I didn't necessarily like the timing that Mike was suggesting late 23. Mike Power, CEO for DHL Express Americas. um, Again, talking about supply chain challenges remaining uh, well into 2023. So again, we'll have to see how that plays out going forward. Certainly a challenge for uh, the global economy. All right, so infrastructure. We got that infrastructure bill through Bridges, tunnels, all that kind of stuff. The Gateway Project, for example. New re- train tracks underneath the Hudson River, which we so desperately need, which has been my pet project. Looks like that's even going to get funded. So this is a great time to talk to our next guest and Fandazi, Chief Executive Officer for Ritchie Brothers. Ritchie Brothers trades on the NYSE RBA. It's a global asset management company that sells industrial equipment and trucks through live and online auctions and distributes through other channels as well. So a really cool company. I didn't even know this existed until we spoke to Anna earlier. Um, and thanks so much for joining us here. It looks like we're going to get a lot of infrastructure. What's it like out there in the used equipment business? Are people scrambling trying to get stuff to build stuff with?
5: Yeah, Paul. So <laughs> uh, they're trying, uh, but uh, the supply chain it doesn't seem to be cooperating with us. Uh, So the way that used equipment works uh, is that, you know, uh, people replace uh, used equipment typically with new equipment, and if there's a lag in new equipment, they can't dispose of their used equipment. So what's happening is uh, very little supply in the used equipment market. It is, however, resulting in an incredible uh, price environment for sellers. Uh, oftentimes these days because people are scrambling as you said uh, for the infrastructure bill uh, they're busier than they've ever been before some used assets are actually selling above their original uh, acquisition cost Wow, unheard of unprecedented has never happened before
2: you know I'm kind of wondering here how long this lasts for and the investments that people are gonna need to make to get through all of this uncertainty
5: yeah, so that, that is the question. That is the question. How long does it last? You know, when this started, uh, so I joined Ritchie Brothers uh, January of 2020. Uh, similarly, uh, when I started looking at the company, hadn't heard of it. It's incredible, uh, an incredible marketplace uh, for global used industrial equipment um, around the globe. So I started in 2020. Uh, and you know the first inkling we had that there was going to be a supply chain issue kind of came towards the end of the year from the OEMs and originally it manifested like a chip shortage. you know hey, chip shortages uh, and then it went to containers and shipping containers and labor and gluts and you know uh, and and the question on everybody's minds is when does it end? And so we know it's not now. Uh, if anything it's getting worse now because, Uh, The supply chain still remains uh, difficult, and the demand, uh, because of the infrastructure bill and uh, just making people busier than they've ever been before, Uh, we're anticipating sometime this year, but looking like towards the back end, uh, not the first half for sure.
0: So give us a sense, and I mean, you know, it's all tied together, the the new equipment, the used equipment market. What are the Caterpillars and the Deers and all those other manufacturers, what are they saying about – their production schedules, and, and how they'll be able to supply the market?
5: Yeah, we're watching those very, very closely, and uh, they are experiencing the very uh, the very problems that I alluded to. So we're kind of listening to their public filings, obviously meeting with dealers as well as corporate players in the space to understand uh, what folks are feeling. And the reality is that Uh, you know, the demand uh, from their dealers are higher than anything the companies can supply. Uh, How they've chosen to kind of balance that is more uh, fulfill the demand on the retail side. So for retail sales and kind of, uh, you know, where they're feeling the brunt of the pause is on their rental fleets, uh, which are aging uh, and uh, don't have a replacement cycle that's coming up. The nice thing for Ritchie Brothers with that is Uh, You know, as equipment continues to age, it for sure will need to be disposed of. Uh, And, you know, that's where we come in. The question is not if, it is when. And we are waiting patiently for that day.
2: You know, this idea that equipment demand is really being driven by infrastructure projects, how does that play out on the ground? What does it look like?
5: Oh, yeah, exactly. So the, the interesting thing is with how busy everybody has been, the infrastructure money hasn't actually started to flow. So I think we're seeing the tip of the iceberg here. Uh, I think through COVID, um, infrastructure construction has been deemed an essential service. So we've kind of seen that steadily rise, obviously, people working from home. uh, So kind of construction on the rise and, and, you know, home improvement, those types of things. Uh, And now right on the heels of that is going to be this infrastructure money that's going to be desperately needed flooding in. Um, and the supply chain will, for sure, catch up. The question is when.
0: What piece of equipment or, or, or type of equipment is most in demand, or, or which one is experiencing that, you know, supply-demand mismatch where you're really having some problems?
5: Pick it, and it's there. Anything from <laughs> transportation to construction to cranes to mining, right? It's it's actually interesting. So I'm, you know, I c I've came from the car space uh, over a decade. Uh, between uh, Ford Motor Company and Chrysler. Uh, and so kind of, uh, you know, in this industry about two years, we've never seen anything like this before, that across the board the manufacturers, we are, we see it with the car manufacturers as well, uh, are just experiencing, you know, never-before-seen uh, disruptions in their supply chain. Uh, you know, we're hearing from some manufacturers that at this point they're only taking orders for 2023. Uh, They will not be able to fulfill anything else in 2022. Again, what that means for sellers is incredible time for to sell. The prices are sky high.
2: So, you know, our last guest was a Duke grad, but Anne is a Wharton MBA in systems engineering. And I'm wondering, Anne, how important is this for the future for more people to be building in operations and engineering skills into their own work?
5: yeah you know thank you for that question i am a huge stem fan so uh yeah as you as you noted i have a master's in engine a bachelor's in engineering a master's in engineering before my mba uh you know i firmly believe that every company today is in fact a technology company and uh for the leaders of tomorrow to be fluent in the language of technology is just invaluable even if you're not coding uh you know uh heaven forbid i code uh dust (laughs) off my coding skills from two decades back but the fact that i can speak that language uh just is such a an incredible skill set and a shortcut actually for the organization so that you know they don't constantly have to wait for me to catch up so uh for anybody listening uh i believe stem is the future i have um Two children, uh, a boy and a girl. He is actually majoring in engineering right now, and she is thinking something in STEM, either science yep. or engineering, and I, I couldn't
0: be happier. Yep, likewise. All right, and thank you so much uh, for joining us. Always love chatting with you and getting your perspective. Uh, really interesting. And Fandazzi, uh, Chief Executive Officer of Richie Brothers. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.